0: for your support. It's time for another edition of Fighting for the Faith, Monday, July 28, 2014. this is going to be a fascinating episode i'm already making notes thinking i got to move one segment till tomorrow but Thank you for tuning in. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. My name is Chris Rosebro. I am your servant in Jesus Christ, and this is the program that dishes up a daily dose of biblical discernment, the goal of which, help you to think biblically, help you to think critically, and help you compare what people are saying in the name of God to the Word of God. Sadly, there is no shortage of crazy things being said out there, and uh, unfortunately, it's the Bible twisters who, well, have pretty much the upper hand at the moment. Not sure why that's the case, but it's as if what Paul prophesied in Second Timothy about the time coming when people will not endure sound doctrine, but will gather to themselves teachers who will tell them what their itching ears want to hear. It's as if... That's happening right now in our midst, and I think that's probably what's happening. Uh, so we try to, uh, well, take the time to slow down, open up our Bibles, look at what God's Word says in context, apply sound biblical hermeneutics in order to figure out what God's Word's really saying, to test to see if what people are saying, especially the most popular pastors, preachers, teachers, and folks like that, if what they're saying squares with what God's Word says, or if we find out they're, well, they're engaging in hermeneutical monkey business, uh, which really ultimately boils down to false doctrine being taught, and false doctrine can't save you, um, Yeah, false doctrine points you away from Jesus, points you to yourself, and has you believing God's Word, teaching something that it don't teach, which is, well, how should we put it? No bueno. So, okay. Now, at the opening of the program, just, I'm looking at my program notes here on my iPad. <sighs> okay, so let's talk about what we're going to do on today's episode of Fighting for the Faith. I think I'm going to end up moving the Rob Bell piece until Thursday. Yeah, yeah. just work with me here. I apologize. You know, I'm thinking Thursday, why not tomorrow? Because yeah, tomorrow I'm actually going to be interviewing somebody regarding... Um, uh, Mars Hill Church and uh, the Exodus of Mars Hill Church, and uh, do a. We're going to kind of do an extended Mark Driscoll portion in the first hour tomorrow. So I won't. I don't think I can get to it. But uh, let's talk about what we're going to do today. We're going to start up with kind of an extended David Crank update, and uh, just take a listen to some crazy hermeneutics. I mean, literally just some of the craziest hermeneutics I've heard in a while. And the name of the message, you can find it on YouTube if you uh, go to Pastor David Crank's YouTube channel. But the name of the message is You've Got Bad Breath. <laughs> Yeah, but well, yeah, it, it, this is one of the most convoluted, jumbled, bizarre you know teachings, and yet he has something in common with the Kong He thing, and you know the Valley of the Dry Bones, you, you, thinking that it's you know about your dried up relationships or your dried up finances. But this has got a weird little twist to it. So we got an extended David Crank update to begin things. We're going to switch. We'll take a break. When we come back, we'll switch gears, and we're going to ask the question. I have no, I have no idea how to answer the question, to be honest with you. But we're going to ask the question: Is Louis Giglio a tritheist? Is Louis Giglio a tritheist? Now, I, he, it, you know, theologically, you know, where I put him is, I believe Louis Giglio is a communitarian. Okay, he's a Druckerite straight down the line, close friends with uh, Andy Stanley, and you know, basically doing. Uh, the communitarian thing. But what I've noticed about communitarians is that they have this weird social trinity, uh, this communitarian view of the doctrine of the trinity. Now, I don't know if what Louis Giglio, which you're going to hear him say, if it was a slip of the tongue or if it really was his theology. The problem is is that if it was a slip of the the tongue— he says it more than once in this message that we're going to be listening to. In fact, we're going to be listening to a portion of his Hillsong, um, you know, speech that he gave when he was at the Hillsong conference. And um, and so we're going to ask the question, is he a tritheist? Is he a social uh, trinity guy? Which, by the way, is a false trinity. And uh, we'll get to the details on that uh, second half of this first hour. And then in hour number two,
1: <laughs>
0: oh, man. It's been a while. It's been a while since we've done a full-blown Keith Craft sermon review. But we will be doing a uh, full-blown sermon review for Keith Craft. And the name of the sermon is Eulogy. Eulogy. And this seems to be the big message that um, (laughs) that Keith Craft likes to share. And it's just, I mean, it's bizarre. It's absolutely bizarre. It's as bizarre as the Mariachi Trench. And so, if you, it's been a while since you've heard uh, Keith Kraft making the rounds uh, preaching about his think be do. If this is your first exposure to this particular do- doctrine, I all I can say is that um, tinfoil pyramid hat might help. <laughs> this is bizarre. It's absolutely one of the weirdest things I've heard. I might have to end up playing our warning before we do our sermon review because it's it's that kind of crazy and uh, it's and again what's the point of having a bible i mean when you have major popular pastors preachers and teachers i mean he's cathedral of frisco is where he's from but he's not preaching at the cathedral of christo he's uh, uh, frisco he's down in orlando for this particular sermon and uh, so that's what's, what we're going to do on today's episode of Fighting for the Faith. The Rob Bell segment that I want to get to, I, I think I'm going to have to move that until Thursday. So, um, in fact, I can already kind of tell you how uh, Thursday's program's going to shake out. We're, we have an Eric Dykstra uh, update coming up on Thursday. We have a Rob Bell update now coming up on Thursday. So, I mean, Thursday's program and tomorrow's program are almost produced. I mean, it's... What am I going to do? I'm going to have to, you know, maybe I'll go swimming or something. I, I don't know. <laughs> don't know. Anyway, so uh, we've got just a ton of ground to cover. And uh, since we're going to be beginning uh, with a uh, David Crank update, that requires me to do this. Ooh, That's right. That's our David I Crank update. Gary Wright, Stream Reaver. we go. Dreamweaver. Okay, so what we're going to be listening to, like I've already said, is uh, from a message entitled, You've Got Bad Breath. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, this is kind of the ba- Valley of the Dry Bones, Ezekiel 37 stuff, but with a really weird uh, twist that uh, apparently David Crank has come up with on his own because <laughs> there is not a central... Hermeneutic that he's working from, except for kind of like the the uh, Stephen Furtick uh, hermeneutic, which basically says the Bible's about you, and it's not. And <laughs> and so if you if you're not sure what how to properly understand Ezekiel 37, Ezekiel 37, by the way, is a prophecy regarding the the last day, the resurrection of the dead, and God calling forth Israel from the grave, right? And this is not talking about the nation of Israel. this is talking about those who are grafted into Israel, the true Israel, those who believe in the Messiah for the forgiveness of their sins, both Old Testament saints and New Testament saints. That's what that's referring to. And I covered this uh a, you know a while ago, in fact a week week and a half ago when we did a Kong He update. Uh, where Kong He mangled this particular passage. So if you're not sure how to properly understand that text, go back to the Kong He segment we did just a few days ago here at Fighting for the Faith, and uh, you should be able to get that all straightened out. But like I said, David Crank has his own twist on this, and it gets really crazy pretty quick. So here's David Crank, and you've got bad breath. Here we go. Ezekiel
2: 37, verse 1. And the hand of the Lord was upon me, and he brought me out by the Spirit. And the Lord set me in the middle of a valley. And it was full of bones, and he led me back and forth among them. And I I saw great and mighty bones on the floor and the valley of bones. They were very dry. Everybody shout, very dry. And I said, O sovereign Lord, you alone know. Then he
0: said to me, I, I like it when God talks to us. And then he said to me, yeah, Ezekiel's a prophet. Um, I like it when God talks to us, right? God's speaking to us through his word. Now, by the way, again, the interpretation of the Valley of Dry Bones is actually found in Ezekiel 37 itself. If you're not sure how to understand this vision, God gives us the interpretation. No guesswork necessary. He said to me, I could preach right there. Uh, you, no, you can't because you ain't a prophet
2: Prophesy to these bones and say to them. He said to me, "Prophesy to these bones and say to them, the business is dry. The marriage is dry. You're having trouble. There's
0: persecution. There's uh, yeah. yeah. Listen, this isn't about dry businesses, dry marriages or anything of the sort. You are totally twisting God's word and you're missing the whole point of the text. Again, the interpretation is in Ezekiel 37 itself. a trial, and he, it looks impossible, and he said, hey,
2: here's what I, I, can it live? I don't know. Only you know. And God goes, yeah, well, I do know, but I'm getting ready to tell you how to speak to your mountain.
0: Now, you... <laughs> yeah, okay. <It's... laughs> so apparently God was teaching Ezekiel how to speak to his mountain. <laughs> talking about mixing hermeneutical metaphors good night your mountain will never
2: move until your mountain hears your voice
0: (laughs) okay if you have a pastor and he's preaching like this run flee the building you are not being taught god's word correctly i mean anybody who says listen you know your mountain is waiting for your voice <laughs> for you to tell it to move. Oh yeah. That's not what the Bible teaches. And has, this has nothing to do whatsoever with the story of Ezekiel in the Valley of Dry Bones. I mean, it's, <laughs> it's not like it was a dry mountain. Yeah, this is just getting stranger by the second.
2: In fact, my dad was a cop, and this guy was uh, stole a television. And he's in a very bad part of town where my dad was a cop.
0: Uh, so now we're moving into personal anecdote to basically illustrate his false reading of this text. Right.
2: Dad said that he was, there was somebody stealing like crazy out of these hotels by the airport. And this one guy's running out. And he's got a TV in his hand. And my dad says, freeze, put the TV down. And he said, what TV? <laughs> Everybody shout, what TV? I mean, you know, if you if you're a criminal, you know, you start denying this from the get go. This could be on tape. What TV? Huh? You've already said what you what you planned to deny.
0: So now here comes the word of faith heresy. Get ready.
2: We're not denying that the cancer's there. Denying that it's tough to build the business, but we are saying that's not my cancer. These bones are dry. But... <sighs> oh.
0: I mean this this theology has more in common with the mind science cults you know the christian science you know what was that lady's name was it mary baker eddy I, th- I think it was i may be wrong i'm getting old but you know this this idea that you know you, you speak things into existence or whatever and that illnesses are just a result of bad thinking and bad thoughts and and this 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 is the idea and so I remember the, the late Walter Martin would talk, you know, tell a joke. It's, it's a cold, cruel joke, too, at that, uh, you know, talking about, how, you know, you can always you can tell who the uh, the Christian scientists are in hell because they're sitting in the corner of hell going, I'm not here. I'm not here. I'm not here. As if somehow, you know, all of this was it's just a figment of their imagination. If they say positive words and think positive thoughts, it'll create a positive future for themselves. Yeah, you ain't God, um, and I'm not God. You're not God. So yeah, this is this has nothing to do with Ezekiel in the Valley of Dry Bones, and you know, and what good does it do to say, listen, we're not denying that you know the cancer's there. Yeah, we're we're just saying that's not my cancer. Like that's gonna solve the problem. And uh, if the cancer's in your body, it's your cancer. It ain't anybody else's it's it's not like you know there's you know unclaimed cancer walking around on the streets i mean i'm looking out the window here at the pcr studios and you know we've got a sidewalk in front of the studio and uh, you know i i don't see you know cancer walking by saying will somebody please claim me <laughs> You know, there's all this unclaimed cancer running around out there. This is is ridiculous.
2: But I'm a speaking spirit, and I walk by faith and not by sight.
0: Oh, you're a speaking spirit. Yeah. Jesse Duplantis talked about that. Yeah, in fact, go back into the archives of Fighting for the Faith. You haven't heard Jesse Duplantis talking about being a speaking spirit. Uh, yeah, that's and Jesse Duplantis, I, great voice. I mean, he sounds just like Foghorn Leghorn from the Looney Tune uh, c- uh, cartoons.
2: I'm gonna say to the mountain, be removed. I'm gonna say to the doubt and lack, be removed. I'm not gonna sit here and not say anything. Say something. The Bible said, "Let the redeemed of the
0: Lord say so." Shout it, even if... as if that has anything to do. I mean, we are all over the place here. Hell, what? Shout it again. It sounds good. You just rip a bunch of verses out of context. Just throw them out slogan style and just pile on. And uh, maybe no one will notice that you're twisting God's word. One more time. I wish I had a organ.
2: <laughs> in fact, I've told this story probably only one time, but I was like 16. I was at the lake. We lived down there part time with my dad and so on. And, and me and my brother went cruising because that's what you did back in the day. And don't look at me in that tone of voice because you did too. <laughs> Some of y'all fixed yourself up and went cruising down the road, listening to na 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 na. Ice ice baby. So these these kids didn't like us and they were causing problems. And they were there was like four or five of them. And they came up and they were punking us. And they said, "Hey, you know what? We we're gonna whip you right here." And I said, "Watch me say something." I thought I don't want to fight. I don't like to fight. I've only fought a couple times and it didn't turn out good. I don't want to fight. How many like me and you don't want to fight? Look at your neighbor and say, do I look like I fight? Look how beautiful I am. I'm messing this up. I can't
0: fight you. Never fight an ugly person. They have nothing to lose. (laughs) So just, you know, rip a bunch of verses out of context. Tell a few really funny personal stories and jokes along the way. And people will be laughing so hard they'll have no idea that they're having the wool pulled over their eyes by a wolf. Uh, we continue. and So I'm
2: getting ready to fight. They think I'm getting ready to fight, but I said, hey, hey, wait a minute. We don't need to fight here. We'll be arrested. This is crazy. You have offended us. We're ticked off. You're going down. Go on the other side of the dam. You know that other side where they have that? On the other side of the dam, there's a commuter parking lot right there. They're like, yeah, yeah. I'm like, you meet us right there. I never had any intentions. of going there. They got in their car, we got in ours, and they went, and we went, and we never went back. I still haven't seen them. That's been a long time ago. But my point is, is when you're in a fight, the fight of faith, don't just sit there and
0: not say something. Come up with a plan and let the devil know. The fight of faith, fight the good fight of faith. That's about proclaiming and defending the good news of the gospel, the faith once delivered to the saints. Not about you having enough faith and positive thinking in order to help your dry business become watered or speaking to your mountain because it's waiting for your voice. Nothing of the sort.
2: I don't know if I can take any more. I just barely got in here
0: and tell everybody about your problems. You
2: say, hey, devil, is that all you got? Jesus died on the cross for me 2,000 years ago, and I am healed. I am strong. Yeah, it looks dry, but I'm speaking to this dry marriage, and it's going to get juicy.
0: Uh Uh-huh. Yeah, a dry marriage being juicy. I don't think that Christ's death on the cross quite promises a juicy marriage when it's suffering from dryness.
2: Juicy! (laughs) Which reminded me of a pair of sweatpants Nicole had on not long ago. Juicy, juicy. Beep that while I'm preaching in the name of Jesus. Shut up. All those voices are going like crazy. You guys know about those.
0: Verse 5, this is what the sovereign Lord said. So we're back to the valley of the dry bones. I have no idea why he's reading from this text because he ain't exegeting it, ain't paying attention to what's actually going on, and he could care less that the Lord himself has actually given us the interpretation of the valley of the dry bones.
2: To these bones, I will make breath enter you, and you will come to life, marriage. Finance
0: <laughs> you Really, in your version of Ezekiel 37, you know, speak to these dry bones, they'll come to life and in your version of it, it actually has the word marriage and finance in there. That's weird. It's not in the Hebrew. It's not even in the ESV or the NIV. Where did you find those words? I will attach tendons to you and
2: make flesh come upon you and cover you with skin. And I will put breath in you and you will come to life. Then you will know that I am the Lord. Now, here's the next part. Sounds really cool.
0: You no, know, because you're twisting it.
2: So I prophesied. As I was commanded. Oh, I like that.
0: Yeah, I bet. But the thing is, is who was the one who was Commanded to prophesy you no, Ezekiel, you're not just because you've read this passage doesn't mean that you're commanded to prophesy over cancer or a dry marriage that needs to be juiced up or a business that's running low on fine, 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 finance, God's not commanding you to prophesy over your dry marriage. Marriage. It's orange in
2: my Bible right there. That orange right there means put the spanking on that right there. Right there, it says, So I prophesied to these bones. Uh, Pastor Arden can't do it for you. Pastor Austin. Yeah,
0: see, the, <laughs> see, there's a the funny thing. Talk about narcissism, right? David Crank is so narcissistic in his twisting of God's word that he sees. He sees the prophet Ezekiel writing in first person. So Ezekiel says, so I prophesied to the bones, right? Who was speaking? Well, Ezekiel was. But see, Crank is so narcissistic, he sees, I prophesied to the bones. He thinks that he's the I there. Yeah, David Crank thinks he's the one speaking in Ezekiel 37, Talk about narcissistic hubris and blindness!
2: I can't do it for you. I can't do it. When you know what to say, it's up to you to say it. You can't tell my wife I love her for me. That's
0: awkward. That's weird. I need. To- What's more awkward is that you think that this passage is about saying I love you to your wife. That's even more bizarre. Tell her, I love her. You can't hire somebody to praise God
2: for you. And you can't hire somebody to fight in this battle for you. The battle, of course, is the Lord's, but the victory is ours. But we don't need to fight in this war uneducated. We need to know.
0: (laughs) Oh, this is so ridiculous. I mean, this is like a hermeneutical nightmare. I mean... Clearly, he hasn't taken hermeneutics 101. He has never sat in an exegetical course, you know, exegetically working through a biblical text. He's n- If he's been taught it, he's Clearly rejected it, but he has no idea what he's doing.
2: That the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but they are mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds, and God equipped us, and so he saying in verse 7, so I prophesied as I was commanded. God didn't tell me to say, I don't know what we're
0: going to do. Yeah, God didn't tell you to prophesy nothing in Ezekiel 37. It's Ezekiel who's doing the prophesying.
2: It seems really hard to be a pastor. You just never know what people are going to do. And that's true, but we don't focus on that. I focus on the few people that I know. I know what they're going to do. And it's just really hard. You, you're not going to get any life into those bones, speaking more death into them. You're going to get life into the bones, verse 7 again, so I prophesied as I was commanded. What did I tell you to say? That's not what I told you to say. Let the
0: redeemed of the Lord... <laughs> What does Psalm 107 verse 2 have to do with anything in Ezekiel chapter 37? Nothing. Absolutely nothing. This is absurd. And yet he's got a huge, growing, flourishing megachurch. Why is it growing and flourishing? Not because he's preaching Christ. No, it's flourishing because he's scratching, itching ears and telling people mythological doctrines that are not even biblical doctrines, that they can somehow prophesy and speak to the dry things in their lives when the text doesn't say that at all. Let the weak say I Let's shout that again. Let the weak say. I- and Joel chapter 3, verse 10 has nothing to do with Ezekiel 37. i You know, there's a lot of
2: Catholics in here. Let's make everybody feel comfortable. Let the weak say I am strong. <laughs> I like that. I love that.
0: Is he trying to chant the Catholic liturgy?
2: Sing it. Say it. Spray it. Well, I'm really weak. Okay. We know that. You say now, let the weak say, "I'm strong." He said, "So I prophesied as I was commanded." So I prophesied
0: as I was commanded. And we've none of us—we've none of us have been commanded to prophesy. What
2: did he tell you? Well, you know, most people—they're—they uh, don't know the word, so then the word can't set them free because they don't know the word. Hundreds of people are here tonight. <laughs>
0: Dan, Dan Crank saying there's a bunch of people who don't know the word. <laughs> oh, pot calling the kettle black. Oh, this is just ridiculous. I mean, it's, it's patently
2: absurd. I, who knows how many people watching
0: online. You're hearing the word. You've dedicated
2: this part of the day to the Lord. And tomorrow you're going to approach. There's a problem going to approach you. And the devil's going to go, listen to those bones rattle. It's rattling.
0: Oh, so if the devil comes along, he's going to be rattling some dry bones in front of you to spook you, you know.
2: There's skeletons in your closet. There's nothing ever going to change. And you'll say, oh, no, 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 no. I'm going to prophesy as I was commanded. And I'm going to. And God
0: hasn't commanded you to prophesy. Oh,
2: man. Speak to the problem. I am going to say I'm out of debt and my needs are met and I got plenty more to put up in store.
0: Ah, there you go. See, you're struggling financially. All you have to do is prophesy the way you've quote-unquote been commanded to. Uh, with this caveat, you haven't been commanded, but all you got to do is prophesy. Hey, listen, you know, I am, I am wealthy, and I've got all that I need, and there's more in store. Yeah, and, ta-da, and the devil's going to go, oh, no, and run away because you've totally defeated him by prophesying the way you've been told to, but you haven't been told to prophesy in this way. Weird.
2: Never seen the righteous forsaken or a seat out begging for bread. Oh, yeah.
0: Come here. And to that, he gets, gets applause. It's a magic trick.
2: Captain Mac, good-looking thingy. I just want to show the world how beautiful you are. When he flies an airplane and they give him instruction and they say, okay, dot, 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 fly the heading of 270, Climb to 10,500 feet, after 10,500 feet, turn to 360, and then climb up to 14,000 feet uh, and squawk 7967. Seven. What do they expect you to do? Just do they assume that you heard all that? Or do they, what do they say? Repeat
0: it back verbatim.
2: Re- repeat it back verbatim.
0: So he's got an aviation buddy here, you know, in the aviation metaphor, huh? He has to say as if somehow this is going to make it so that you know you've been commanded to prophesy things and you haven't. And Ezekiel thirty-seven has nothing to do with any of this.
2: Say everything that guy said back to him, which is horribly hard. For some reason, the FAA loves to say. You're <laughs> say what? Could you slow it down? <laughs> so Arden's writing as fast as he can. I'm listening trying to write back. Oh okay, you got it all right. And then all of a sudden Arden will say something, and it'll be like one off. And i go, oh no, it wasn't 7967, seven. it was seven nine six five. And that guy will say, at the end, if it's right, he'll say these really sweet words, which is read back correct. Whenever you hear that, you're like, Whew, we got lucky on that. <laughs> Everybody shout, read back correct. But what they don't want him doing is climbing to a certain altitude, which is the wrong altitude. And now he told this other guy who read back what his instructions are.
0: Now they're and the irony here, you know, because the metaphor is all about read back, correct. Well, see, that's really what a pastor should be doing. He should be correctly reading back and teaching you what God's word says. Mm-hmm. So. Let me see if he gets his read back correct. Ezekiel 37:11 where the Lord actually interprets the vision of the valley of dry bones. Then he, the Lord, said to me, "Son of man, these bones are the whole house of Israel, behold, they say, our bones are dried up, our hope is lost, we are indeed cut off. Therefore prophesy and say to them thus says the Lord God, behold, I will open your graves." Yeah, so read back incorrect. See, he's ba- see bad hermeneutics is an incorrect read back of Scripture, and yet this metaphor he's using, um, actually, if you just take time to read the text in context, you realize he ain't reading God's Word back correctly. Right, that's called false doctrine.
2: They're both in the clouds, they can't see each other, and he's at the wrong attitude, altitude because he didn't say... And he didn't prophesy back what he was commanded by the FAA to prophesy. And that's how midair collisions happen. And we've never had one and we'll never have one because I say, I I know you just said read back correct, but you know what? Read it back one more time for Arden because sometimes, you know, Arden gets to listen into other stuff other than, no, I don't. (laughs) But that's what God's saying here. No, he's not. are you going to prophesy as you were commanded? Read back incorrect, wrong, (laughs) wrong. Are you going to let the world, and the problem, and the economy, and the system, and the man, and culture... Well, that's not culturally correct. Listen here. We are not here in this culture to obey man and their philosophies. we got to prophesy as we're
0: commanded. Come on now. And there's the problem. You ain't commanded to prophesy. Your readback is 100% incorrect. Alright, we're up on our first break. If you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so. My email address is talkback at fightingforthefaith.com. Or you can subscribe on Facebook, it's facebook.com forward slash pirate Christian or follow me on Twitter, my name there at Pirate Christian. Quick break. When we come back, we have uh, a Louis Giglio update. And we're gonna ask, ask the question: Is Louis Giglio a tritheist? Is he into this social trinity? Stay tuned, don't want to miss it. We'll be right back.
3: If you want advice on how to have your best life now, you're in the wrong place. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. <clears throat> Max Holidays, Birdcage Theater presents Church Day Select. You have been summoned here to answer for your crimes against the church. Hold on. What crimes? All I know is that an hour ago, I was sound asleep in my own bed, minding my own business, and then you people broke into my house, threw a black bag over my head, and then forcibly dragged me to this horrible place. And you? <laughs> you. You have the audacity to tell me that I've committed a crime. Silence! We will not tolerate
1: insolence from the mouth of the guilty. Let
3: the trial begin. Oh, pyrotechnics. <laughs> nice touch. Sitting in
2: James McDonald's place today as High Chancellor Law Driscoll. Thank you, Bailiff. Please read the charges. Henry Wigan,
3: you have been charged with high treason against Harvest Bible Chapel for having an
2: unauthorized opinion.
3: You've got to be kidding me.
2: Is it true that on your blog that you accused James
3: McDowell of being financially irresponsible? Of course. Plunging the church into $65 million of debt is- Silence! We have already heard your opinion and it is for this slanderous accusation
1: that you have been brought here before
3: us. It's not an opinion. It's a fact! Oh, is
1: it? Please don't now vote the liberty of your so-called opinion. opinion. All of those in favor of Mr. Wiggins' opinion being null and void, say aye. 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 aye! Well, there you have it.
3: Your opinion
1: is not valid. That's absurd!
3: You can't simply vote away facts because you disagree with them. In the church, it is
1: the elder board that has the ultimate authority to decide what is truth and what is not.
3: When we are consensus,
1: we speak for God.
3: It is for precisely this heretical worldview held by the elder board that I created my blog in the first place.
1: Church matters are not to be tried in the court of public opinion. Whatever scientific viewpoint projected by the elder majority for any reason is satanic to the core and must be dealt with very directly, which is why you are here.
3: Oh. <laughs> Hold on, let me get this straight. So, what you're saying is if the elder board were to vote on what color the sky is, then whatever the majority agrees on, be it purple, pink, or brown, would be reality, regardless of the fact that the sky is clearly blue. Yes! Were you dropped on your head as a child?
1: That's beside the point. What you fail to realize is that the cult of the individual is coming to an end. We are the collective, you see. We must eradicate the poisonous ideology of individualism from the conscious minds of our church community if we are to fulfill the vision of our leader.
3: <laughs> you know, that sounds an awful lot like fascism, if you ask me. Or anybody else for that matter. If that's what it
1: takes... Then so be it.
0: Don't pay more for travel than you need to. back. Uh, Warning, if somebody's telling you that Ezekiel's about dry things in your life, they're twisting God's word and not paying attention to the fact that God himself has interpreted what the Valley of the Dry Bones is about. You're being taught false doctrine. Just a reminder, Fighting for the Faith is listener-supported radio. That means we depend upon you and your generous gifts and financial contributions in order to continue to bring Fighting for the Faith to you and to the world, and you can partner with us by visiting our website, fightingforthefaith.com. When you get there, you'll see our two friendly yellow buttons. One says donate, the other says join our crew. When you join our crew, you're signing up to automatically contribute $8.95 every month to the ongoing work and mission of Fighting for the Faith and Pirate Christian Radio. That is a great way to support us. And, of course, if you would like to specify the amount that you would like to contribute, you could do so by clicking on the Donate button, or you can make your gift payable to Fighting for the Faith and then send it to Post Office Box 13344, Grand Forks, North Dakota, zip code 58208. And let me thank you for your support because we cannot do what we are doing here without it. All right, moving along. All right, so this is the music we're going to be using for our Louis Giglio update today. You'll discover why as the uh, segment unfolds. Now, if you know the movements, go ahead and just, you know, move along. All right, that's about all I can handle of the uh, Chicken Dance song. Okay, so uh, (laughs) what... You know, weird that we're going to be using that. So what we're going to be listening to is a portion of the message delivered by Louis Giglio at the uh, recently concluded Hillsong Conference. And he said some things that have me scratching my head and asking the question, is Louis Giglio a tritheist? Well, see, the thing is, is that there's a bunch of guys out there who are into communitarianism. And communitarianism is this belief that uh, the the only organic entity of note that exists is the community. Individuals? No, no, no. They only exist face-to-face before God. But here in time and space, the organic entity of note is a community. And uh, one of the things they do is they interpret the doctrine of the Trinity through their communitarianism, and oftentimes they come up with this idea that God is some kind of a social trinity. Um, Yeah, a community, if you would. And the problem is is that what you're going to hear here is not what the Scriptures teach. Yeah, you're going to literally hear Louis Giglio not once, but more than once, Talk about, well, three gods. Yeah, but the story begins so we can get some context with him giving a kind of a, a story about the brand of uh, Chick fil A. That's why we use the Chicken Dance song. So, without any further ado, here's Louis Giglio from the Hillsong Conference, and uh, we're going to ask the question Is he a tritheist? Yeah, listen in.
4: We have a, a fast food thing in America. Anybody been to America here? Anybody ever been to America? You like America, okay? No? I know it's a long way, so you need to like it when you get there. And in our part of the world, I'm from Atlanta, Georgia. Shelly, my wife and I live there. And um, in the south and across a lot of the Midwest of America, there's fast food restaurant, the best of all, I think, called Chick-fil-A. And what... Are those Americans or travelers or who, who, who knows what Chick-fil-A is all about? Their slogan is, their slogan is, if you don't know what Chick-fil-A is, about, it's about the best chicken sandwich ever. They said, we didn't invent the chicken, but we did invent the chicken sandwich. That's their slogan. They're based in Atlanta, Georgia. Amazing family of people. Jesus following people. And, uh, yes, thank you for Atlanta or Chick-fil-A or whichever. Um, and so here's the thing. If you don't know what Chick-fil-A is, this is their a logo right here. Can we just pop this up? That's the Chick-fil-A logo. Can you see that it's a little chicken with a beak and some little things, you know, sticking up off the chicken's head, and it kind of looks friendly and amazing and and awesome. Isn't that great? That logo was created in 1964. Okay, that's a long time ago. In the the process of going from 1964 to right now, Chick-fil-A has had seven advertising agencies. So they've gone to Madison Avenue, New York, hired the best of the best of the best to say, how can we represent our brand, steward our brand, project our brand to the world? In every one of those agencies, seven agencies since 1964 said the first thing we need to do is update your logo. We, we, we got to get rid of this goofy-looking chicken thing with the thing, and we got to get something that feels a little more, you know, like modern, and, and with the program, so we're going to do away with the logo. Well, the first people said, no, we're keeping the logo. Second said no, we're keeping the logo. Seven agencies, since 1964, they kept the logo. I'll tell you what, that's good news, because a guy named Louis Giglio, not me, but my dad, In 1964, in the living room of our house, on a sketch pad, drew the Chick-fil-A logo. He created the brand that's been on a million straws, napkins, bags, you know, signs, billboards, all over, styrofoam cups all over America. My dad, Louis Giglio, created the Chick-fil-A logo. And I love it because I see the CEO of Chick-fil-A fairly often. And I say, hey, you know, just reminding you, Louis Giglio, you know, My dad created all this. So, you know, anytime you want to give me that gold card, that platinum card that I go to the drive-thru and say, Louis Giglio logo, and they say, yes, whatever you would like, that'd be great with me. Pay my dad 75 bucks in 1964 for a logo that has endured through seven ad agencies that said, we need a new brand. Well, what what I would like to put out in, in this session, it's kind of a crazy idea, and I, I know that going into it, but it's going to bring, if we can grab onto it, some rest to us that I really believe we all need, and this is the idea that God has a brand, and I believe the brand of God is Jesus. I was at a, a, an event a few weeks ago with uh, some people who, who who weren't a lot of Jesus followers, but there were people in the middle of them that were Jesus followers and wanted people to know that they were following Jesus. So you got it. Gotta... So people
0: went to the Hillsong conference to hear, hear Louie Giglio say that Jesus is God's brand. Yeah, that's kind of probably another whole episode of fighting for the faith, but we'll let it slide because the more important stuff is coming.
4: People who didn't know all how all the pieces added up and uh, they had me there in a pastoral role. And so I was talking at one point. And so there's uh, about 70, 80 people at this deal for about 30 hours uh, somewhere in the Midwest. We were all together. And uh, after the first deal I had done, someone came up to me and they said, hey, I was just wondering, like, what kind of pastor are you? Yeah, you know, that's never a good leading question, you know, after you've just basically done a blessing and a prayer over a meal. And they're like, what kind of pastor are you? And I was like, I, I don't know where to go with that, so I'll just uh, kind of, you know, stall for a minute. I said, well, where are you guys from? You know? And so they said, well, here's where we're from. And they said, well, what kind of, thing? I don't want to cut this. And, they, and finally, I'm like, well, why do you ask? That's always a good question. So why do you ask? I'm like, what kind of pastor are you? And I said, well, what do you guys do? What kind of business are you all in? You ever had one of those where you just kind of like buying time, you know, for a minute That's going And they said, because you mentioned Jesus a lot. And then I was feeling good. I was like, okay, this is gonna be good, not bad, I think. And and, and I said, Well, uh, did you notice that? They said, Yeah. In, in the little speech you gave in the prayer, you mentioned Jesus eight times. I was like, Wow. It's like I'm counting, you know? They said, Why do you do that? Why don't you just say God? What kind of pastor are you? And I said, Well the reason I said Jesus a lot is because there's a you know, ten thousand gods. But the one I believe in, his name is Jesus, and I just wanted everybody here to know which one we're we're talking about here this few days. And it wasn't like you know, it wasn't like apologetics. It was just awesome. The conversation got even got better from that. I can't you know give you the whole conversation, but it was so fun having the conversation. They said, "Well, okay, that that's I don't understand that." But so, what, what kind of church do, do you pastors really? What we're asking, what what church do you pastor? I said, well, it's a Jesus church. They're like, no, no, no. No, they knew this word. What denomination are you? It's like, we're Jesus denomination, Jesus people. They're like, what is what? And then the friend said, oh, I know what you're talking about. I know what he's talking about. He's talking about they're non-denominational. They said, yeah, that's what you are. You're non-denominational, aren't you? I said, no. No, because that's not something, and we didn't want to not be something. So we are something, and the something that we are is we're Jesus followers. And so again, it's like, why are you about Jesus so much? It's because, you know, he, he's, he's the most important person in my life. He's done for me what no one else has done for me. I want to be like him. I want to live my life for him. There's no one else that I've ever met like Jesus. And I think that God knows that the brand of God is. Is Jesus Now, now just hang on with me for a minute, because we have a triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit,
0: but it would be a crazy thing. Now, that sounds orthodox. We have a triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. This is true. No problem there. if, If Father, Son, and Holy Spirit were all in on one big idea, and though they are three persons, they all committed to just lifting up one name. So, three persons, a triune God sounds orthodox, right? We continue. There are three gods in one person. God the Father, God... Whoa, 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 whoa. There are what? There's three gods in one person? Yeah, that's called uh, tritheism. That's that's not the um, the biblical doctrine of the Trinity. The biblical doctrine of the Trinity teaches that there is one God in three persons, not that there are three Gods, Yeah, here's the biblical summary, and I'll give you some text to kind of work this out. Uh, Athanasian Creed, a fantastic creed, by the way, and it actually is fantastic because it teaches and says the exact thing that the scriptures say. Here's what it says. Whoever desires to be saved must, above all, hold the Catholic. That means universal faith. Whoever does not keep it whole and undefiled will, without doubt, perish eternally. And the Catholic faith is this, that we worship one God in Trinity, and Trinity in unity, neither confusing the persons nor dividing the substance. For the Father is one person, the Son is another, and the Holy Spirit is another. But the Godhead of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit is one, and the glory equal, and the majesty co-eternal. Such as the Father is, such is the Son, and such is the Holy Spirit." And the Father is uncreated, the Son is uncreated, and the Holy Spirit is uncreated. And the Father is infinite, the Son is infinite, and the Holy Spirit is infinite. The Father is eternal, the Son is eternal, and the Holy Spirit is eternal. Yet there are not three eternals, but only one eternal. Just as there are not three uncreated or three infinites, but one uncreated and one infinite. In the same way, the Father is Almighty, the Son is Almighty, the Holy Spirit is Almighty, and yet there are not three Almighties, but one Almighty. So the Father is God, the Son is God, and the Holy Spirit is God, and yet there are not three gods, but one God. So the Father is Lord, the Son is Lord, and the Holy Spirit is Lord, and yet there are not three Lords, but one Lord. That's how the Athanasian Creed summarizes this and uh, actually summarizes the scripture. And the Athanasian Creed is correct because it says the same thing that scripture says. Now, let me give you some other passages here. Isaiah 43, verse 10. Here's what it says. You are my witnesses, declares the Lord, or Yahweh, and my servant whom I have chosen so that you may know and believe me and understand that I am he. Before me, no God was formed, nor... "'Shall there be any after me?' Isaiah 44, verse 6, "'Thus says Yahweh, the King of Israel, and his Redeemer, the Lord of hosts, "'I am the first, and I am the last, and beside me there is no God.'" Isaiah 45, verse 5, "'I am the Lord, and there is no other. Beside me there is no God.'" Isaiah 45 verse 14. Surely God is in you, and there is no other, no God beside Him. Mm-hmm. That's right. Isaiah 45 22. Turn to Me and be saved, all the ends of the earth, for I am God, and there is no other. Jesus in John chapter 5 verse 44 says this. How can you believe when you receive? How can you believe when you receive glory from one another and do not seek the glory that comes from the only God? huh Or first Corinthians eight verse four, therefore, as to the eating of food that's offered to idols, we know that an idol has no real existence, and that there is no God but one. huh? So we got a problem here. Louis Giglio at the uh, Hillsong conference well, he well, he said more than that in fact, what he said is different than that. Listen again.
4: Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. But it would be a crazy thought, wouldn't it, if Father, Son, and Holy Spirit were all in on one big idea? And though they are three persons, they all committed to just lifting up one name. There are three gods in one person: God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. But even from the beginning of time, they conspired before the foundation of the world that there would be a Lamb
0: who. Yeah, no. There is. There are not three gods. There is only one god big problem here now one is likely to say you know chris he it was just a slip of the tongue he doesn't really believe that there are three gods let's keep listening and see if he makes that point again if it was just a one-time thing maybe i'd let it slide
4: lane whose name would be above every other name and so history began to unfold that jesus would be the brand of god and this brand has a brand manager, a PR firm. And you would think that the PR firm would be us, that we're God's brand manager. So we amplify, we worship, we lift up, we proclaim the name of Jesus. But think about it. If you were God, would you really want you to be your brand manager? No, I'm not knocking me, but I'm just, I know me. So if you are you... I mean, if you were God, would you want, okay, if you were God, would you want me to be your brand manager? You're like, no. Why? Because we, we get the plot wrong sometimes. Uh, we get mis- the PR firm of God, God, and God to be the brand managers of Jesus. It's good five o'clock in the afternoon kind of thinking. And so from eternity past, God has been the brand manager of the name of Jesus. And God has ensured that there will be no other name. Can we talk about eternity past for a minute? Hello? Can I just get even, like, one uh-huh? Doesn't even have to be an amen. Doesn't have to be a full-blown amen, just an uh-huh. Thank you. Can we talk about eternity past for a minute? And this, is just, this hurts my brain, so if it doesn't hurt your brain, you're way ahead of me theologically. But I, I want to go there anyway. So we're in the present, and when we think about forever, we always think about forever moving forward. Like we're going into eternity. But eternity goes both directions. So there was an eternity before there was what we now see, and there will be an eternity that continues on beyond what we now see, and that's kind of hard to imagine, I know, but God doesn't have a beginning, right? And so He is the beginning, and so from eternity past, God has existed. There was never a day that all of a sudden there was, oh, we need a God. Okay, boom, we've got a God. There was always God. Now, don't think about that too long, because it'll really make your brain hurt at this time of day, but it's just good to to affirm together. Can we affirm that together, that God always has been God. There's always been the PR firm of God, God, and God. And they promote Jesus. PR firm of God, God,
0: and God. Hmm.
4: And they always have. And there was a time when it was just them. Now, this is not going to be enjoyable for us just for a minute, but just bear with me for one second. There was a time when we weren't in the story. And instead of just closing down for a minute and saying, well, if I wasn't in the story, I don't care about the story. You know, if, if I wasn't in it, why do I care about it? Because we get rest from understanding what happened before we were in the story. And before we were in the story, God, God, and God were just hanging out together, and that's all there was. We don't even know if there were angels yet. We don't even know if there were created Worship beings yet in heaven, all we know for absolute certain is there was God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, the community of gods in
0: one God before there was anything else. Did did, did you hear that? The community of gods. Yeah, there it is. That's that social community deity. Listen again.
4: All we know for absolute certain is there was God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, the community of gods
0: in one God. The community of gods. In one God. Yeah, this is the communitarian uh, social uh, trinity. This is not the biblical doctrine of the trinity. Yeah, and uh, unfortunately, Louis Giglio uh, either knows that he's uh, run afoul of biblical historic Christian orthodoxy and doesn't care, or um, he's just so unaware of what the true doctrine of the trinity is that he has no desire to actually clean up his act. Let's listen a little more.
4: Before there was anything else that was, there literally was no other name. I mean, there was, there, it was, I mean, like literally, like, how you doing? Good. How you doing? You good? You good? I'm good. Yeah. You good? Yeah. I'm good. I'm happy. You happy? I'm happy. I'm happy. We're happy. you need anything? No, I don't need anything. We, we, we can't get our heads around this idea. That forever, God, God, and God were happy. They weren't sad. They weren't perplexed. They weren't going, man. This is getting a little bit slow up here. We might create something. Let's make some some people and blow some stuff up, and you know, let's get a let's get a conflict going, and let's get some resolution and. You know, let's do something. No, they're just fine. They're like, I feel fine. You feel fine. I feel fine. We're good. We're happy. We're content. We're God. And there is no other. That's what the psalmist says, Psalm 90. I love the way he says this in Psalm 90, verse 1 and verse 2. This is what was going on before you and I arrived. It says, Lord, you have been our dwelling place throughout all generations, and then it just backs up a little bit more. Before the mountains were born, or you brought forth the earth and the world, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. That's a a big idea to get our heads around, right? But what it means is that God was never not happy being God. He was never dissatisfied being God. When it was just God, God, and God, it was great. It was amazing. You're like, well, it must not have been that amazing because they hadn't made us yet, and eventually they wanted to make us. And when they made us, then it was like, okay, now we got something going on. No, God has never had lack, never had want, never had need. He's always been God. And if he needed anything, he wouldn't have been God. He would have ceased to be God the moment he needed something. And so if he had needed anything, he would have had to resign from being God. And they would have closed God, God, and God. And the PR firm would have gone under And the name of Jesus would have not been lifted high. But God didn't need anything because he was God. And he knew who he was because he was God. If God didn't know who he was, he would have to resign from being God. Because if you don't know you're God, you don't know everything. If you don't know everything, then you're not God because God knows everything. So if God is God, God has to know he's God. And if you know you're God, hello! What are you going to do? You're going to start a PR firm called God, God, and God, because you know who you are, and you just, you're going to take up the mantle of saying, hey, I'm God. Hello, I am that I am. That's who I am. I'm not sure if anybody knows it or
0: not, but I know it. I am the Lord, and there is no other. I am God, and there is none beside me. That's God. Yeah, it's weird because the verses you're quoting here contradict what you said earlier about there being a community of gods. And that that there are three gods, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit? Whew, man. Where do we get all this God talk? From God, who wrote it all? He wrote it all. Who inspired
4: it all? He inspired it all. He said, I'm going to promote the idea that there is no other name. You're like, come on, Louis. God can't talk like that. We're supposed to be humble. That sounds like pride. Sounds like God's full of himself. Well, hello. God is full of himself. Because if he's not full of himself, who's he going to be full of? Aren't you glad our God is full of himself? He is 100% full of himself. I mean, even Jesus in a human body walking on earth, he was the fullness of God in human form. He's full of himself. Now, if you are full of yourself or I was full of myself, that's a bad plan because we are not God.
0: But- All right, so we put the context on it so you can hear it in context, both far in, you know, far in the beginning, far in the back. Twice, twice, You know, he makes the God's plural statement, three God's. Uh huh, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. It, it, and then talks about the community of gods. Is he a tritheist? Is he into the communitarian, social, community, uh, trinity? If so, that ain't, that ain't the God of, the, of uh, Scripture. That's a different deity altogether. There are not three gods, there is only one. And, uh, yeah, this is very frightening, what we heard here. And the reason I played it long is so that you could hear it in context and hear that he didn't say it once, he said it twice, and then that talk about God, God, and God, yeah, that kind of runs right up uh, onto the line and maybe crosses it a little bit in line to what he said. I think he knew perfectly well what he was saying. And uh, he had no problem coming out and saying it, although he was deftly... Dancing around and not trying to be too conspicuous in what he said, and yet he said it out of the heart. the mouth speaks, makes me wonder, is that what he really believes? Well, my research says that he 's a communitarian wouldn 't surprise me if he believes in the communitarian tritheistic deity, which is not this, this, which is not the triune god of scripture. All right, what do you think? <laughs> Alright, we're up on our second break. If you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so. My email address is talkback at or you can subscribe on Facebook. It's Facebook.com forward slash Pirate follow me on Twitter. My name there at Pirate Quick Break. When we come back, it's a Keith Craft sermon not preached at his uh, cathedral of Frisco. It's all about eulogy. You Yeah, know, talking about not paying attention to the details of scripture. Stay tuned, we'll be right back
3: relevant shmelevance. We preach Christ crucified for our sins. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith.
0: Pirate Christian Radio Theater presents Death of a Salesman. Are ye a salesman? Why, yes, I am. Can I interest you in some... <laughs> <laughs>
5: we're back.
0: Hour number two of Fighting for the Faith sermon review time. I'm going to have to play our standard warning before we uh, do the sermon review. And this is for your safety. So we'll intro it, play the warning, and then get right to it. Let's do this right. Here we go. The good, the bad, the ugly. We review it all here at Fighting for the Faith. We're an equal opportunity sermon reviewing service. Today's sermon comes to us via City of Life Church, Orlando, Florida. But there's, their pastor isn't presiding. It's Keith Kraft instead. Not sure if he was flown in or if he did like the multi-site thing via video. Can't tell because it's an audio podcast. The name of the sermon we'll be listening to is entitled Eulogy. And you'll see that it's the, of the same type of biblical hermeneutical nonsense that we heard earlier in the program from David Crank. Yet this is in the same (laughs) stream. But man, when Keith Kraft delivers this kind of nonsense, (laughs) it just, yeah, all I can say is it's going to get ridiculous. And so let me go ahead and kill the music, and we're going to play our standard warning. And this is so that you do not hurt yourself while listening to this sermon
4: Please take proper precautions. Drinking straws, padding, and duct tape are recommended.
0: Now you have been warned. So you know if you know something uh, well uh, untoward happens to you while listening to this sermon review, yeah, we're we're legally off the hook. So without any further ado, here's Pastor Keith Craft and his sermon entitled "Uology." Here we go. Uh,
5: give honor where honors due. You know, first of all, you guys. Y'all didn't know it, but I'm your brother from another mother, and so it's great to be back in Orlando with you, and great to be with this familia. That's the way we say it in Texas, with a Texas accent, familia, and uh, so anyway, it's an honor to be with the Smiths, and and you guys know that this church is legendary. You know, y'all come here, and oh, that's our church, and the cops stop traffic and stuff. And you know, that happens everywhere. I don't know if you know that, but you know, every church has to hire police to control the traffic. And y'all are just another one of those churches that where God's not doing anything and nobody's getting mad because they having to wait on y'all to turn in the parking lot to come to church. And People driving by going, what are those people? Where are all these people going? What is that over there? The city of life. That's what it is. So, anyway, I just honor your pastors, Jeff and Amy, and, of course, the doctors in the house, Dr. Gary and his, his, his beautiful daughter, Miss, Miss Ageless. Miss Ageless, forever young. I mean, amazing, but what a great family. And so it is an honor to be with you. I want to jump in today to talk to you about the word and, and, uh, want to just say that it's always an honor for me to have the greatest gift God's ever given me, uh, besides his son, Jesus in the room when she chooses to be in the room. And that's my girlfriend who is my first wife. And, uh, My only wife, in Jesus' name. But Sheila's here. Sheila, would you stand? This is my bride. And um, I got two of my Pearl girls here. And that's uh, Keela and Whitney. And I won't take a long time to introduce you guys. But Clay's married to Whitney. And Keela's going to be married this year. And anyway, it's just crazy. I got two kids. Listen, my son's 27. He wasn't able to make it because he was tired. And uh, being real with you, today he did not go to church. He slept in. And uh, he's somewhere in Florida. We don't know where, but no. But uh, he's getting married in October. Now, he's 27, finally. Thank you, Jesus. Wonderful, wonderful. And, and then my daughter, Keela, she's 25, and she's getting married. So, so watch this now. 27, 25, and they're getting married one month apart. I go, like, like, you know, can we coordinate? Like, can we space? Like, how does that happen? Anyway, this is Clay and Whitney. They're married. This is Keela. She's going to be married. Y'all stand up. These are my children's children. So, hey, for those of you that that just makes you sick and you're tired of clapping, let's get in the Word. Okay? So, uh, look, look with me to Luke, the fourth chapter. Let's go to Luke 4. And uh, I want to talk to you about something that maybe nobody's ever talked to you about, and it's your think, be do. You see that? <laughs>
0: <laughs> oh, this is not gonna get. This is not gonna be easy. Yeah, <laughs> he was so serious all the way up until that, right? You know, listen, I would like you to open your Bibles to Luke chapter 4, and I'm going to talk to you about something that, you know, probably no one's ever talked to you about. And you think, oh, this has got to be serious. And I want to talk to you about your (laughs) (laughs) think-be-do.
5: The truth is you have a think-be-do. Really? So, Keith, what does that mean? You have a way that you think that determines the way that you be, and the way you be determines what you do. And what's so important about your think, be, do is that your think, be, do is really your philosophy of life. In fact, if I were just to walk up to you and I were to ask you, hey, what's your philosophy of life? It might stump you a little bit because we don't think about philosophy of life. We just live within the confines, and I say that in capital letters, confines of our own think, be, do. We live inside of how we think, how we are as people, and what we do, the actions that we take. And your, your philosophy of life is wrapped up in your thing be do, and yet some of you don't even realize you have a philosophy of life. So, so today, here, here's what I want to do. Uh, let me ask your name. What's your name right here? Evelyn. Do you know that you have an Evelynology? Evan, Evan, What's your name? Javierology. Now, everybody here knows, you know, how many of y'all took biology in school? Okay, You, you know what we think? We think biology is one word, but it's not. The etymology of biology is it's two words. It's bio and ology. You see, the etymology of kinesiology is not just kines and ology, but it's a kinesiology is a study of the way that the body moves. Physiology, psychology. Uh, again, how many of you ever heard of psychology? Well, you think psychology is one word. It's not. It's psych, which is mind, and ology, which is philosophy. So I could go down the row uh, in each one, each row, and I could ask you your name, and we could just put ology on the end of your name, and all of you have an ology. And today I want to talk to you about your ology. I want to, well, not your ology. <laughs> I just wanted you to know I caught myself before y'all caught me. But let's talk about urology. since I am a urologist. No, I'm just kidding. Okay. Back on track. Back on track. Each one of you have an ology. I want you to get this. Because this, this, this might be, today might be the most important day of your life. Because I want you to take ownership of your ology. I don't care how old you are. Your ology consists of three things the way you think, the way you be as a person, and the actions that you take. Where
0: is he getting this from? I mean, this is a philosophy. This is not a theology. This is, well, Keith Craft's ology. Yeah, this is not biblical theology. Not unless this is clearly revealed in God's word and is it, and part of the doctrines of the historic Christian faith which this isn't we continue
5: and everything that drives the actions that you take are how you think and how you be as a person. What does the Bible have to say about this? As a man thinks in his heart, so is he out of context. What does the Bible have to say about this? Guard your heart because out of your heart flow other people's issues.
0: Again, out of context. What did he do? He started off with his own theology. Now he's fishing for verses out of context, and he's hanging them on his theology. He didn't start with a biblical text that lays out all of these things that he's saying and and then showed us how it says this in God's Word clearly. If this was really Christian doctrine and Christian theology, how come Christianity hasn't believed, taught, and confessed this from the beginning?
5: Out of your heart flow your issues. How do you guard your heart? As a man thinks in his heart, so is he. The first guard of my heart, the guardian of my heart is my thought process. So the way that you think is very important. In fact, God said it like this in Isaiah 55. He says, for my thoughts are not your thoughts. And my ways are not your ways. Neither are your ways or your thoughts mine. He said, for as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my thoughts and my ways, my think, my be, and my do, higher than yours. Now, you know what's pretty...
0: (laughs) (laughs) My think, my be, my do. Yeah, you stuck the think, be, do part into the biblical text. There's no think, be, do in the Bible.
5: Pretty amazing about that scripture is it goes on to say this. He explains it. He says, for as the rains come down from the heaven and water the earth and make it, every say make it, Amen. and make it bud, so is my word that shall not return void. So let's talk about it. We quote that. God's word will not return void, but we forget that it all goes together. You see, God's word will be void in your life if your ology blocks his theology out. If my ology blocks, what?
0: Man. So no biblical text in context. This all spins out of uh, Keith Craft's brain. And the statements he makes make no sense at all. We continue.
5: Theology is two words. The etymology of theology is Theo, which is God, and then ology, philosophy. So when you hear about theology, what you're hearing about is God-ology, or you're hearing about the philosophy of God. A man by the name of Charles Finney was the first one to introduce systematic theology. Well, what was the imp- What? Really? Finney
0: was the first systematician? Oh, I beg to differ with you on that. Uh, yeah, I, I can name some systematic theologies that predate uh, Finney. You need some good dogmatic texts that predate Finney. This is nonsense.
5: Important thing about systematic theology. He actually put a system in place to break down Godology to us. And so he made what was very very complex in the church world, he began to break it down and said, okay, this is the system that you can use to learn about Godology. So today, I want to be guilty for the next few minutes of not talking, listen now, about theology. I'm going to preach you the word, but I'm laying a foundation here because I want to talk about systematic eulogy. Oh,
0: my goodness. <laughs> Systematic eulogy. Oh, please, tell me more.
5: In other words, I want to hopefully, by the time you leave in just a few minutes, for you to have a path in your mind of how to make your life better. Yeah. How many of you are interested in making your life better? If you're not really interested in making your life better, this might be the wrong place for you.
0: Yeah. Go to the church. where that. Is that what the scriptures are about, how to make my life
5: better? i don't have to hire police to control traffic (laughs) they're everywhere i hope y'all are getting my message here so here's what i believe when you elevate your thinking you elevate your life i want you to say yeah again biblical text please that says
0: when i elevate my thinking i elevate my life i need a chapter uh, and, a, and a verse, and I need a context to see you know, that God's Word teaches this. You say, you believe it. Why do you believe it? Why should I believe it?
5: Say it with me. When I elevate my thinking, I elevate my life. And why is that so important? Because you're a son and daughter of the Most High God. He's put you on the face of the earth, and you have a fingerprint that nobody else has, so you can leave an imprint that nobody else can leave. You're li-
0: Yeah, that's a nice slogan, Keith. Again, where does the Bible actually say this and teach this in context? It doesn't. This is a nonsensical, narcissistic theology that you're putting forward, and it's not what the Bible teaches. We continue.
5: Life has purpose. You're fearfully, you're wonderfully made. And by the way, you can do all things through Christ who will strengthen you. Today, Christ is going to strengthen you to do what? To help you do you better so that Eulogy doesn't mess up what God put you on the earth to think, be, and do. Oh, my. If you're with me, say, hey, I'm... And yet
0: Jesus says to deny ourselves, take up our cross, and follow him. Weird,
5: huh? I'm with you. Come on. Come on. I'm with you. Okay. So let's talk about your think, your be, your do. Let's take a look at the Word of God, Luke, the fourth chapter. Let's look at what verse 1 says, Luke 4. Page... 1233 if you've got the right Bible. If you don't, use that phone. Then Jesus, being filled with the Holy Spirit, returned from Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted for 40 days by the devil. And in those days, he ate nothing. And afterward, when they had ended, he was hungry. Everybody say, hungry. So he'd fasted for 40 days and 40 nights, but I don't want to focus on that. I want to go back to the first verse, and let's go back there, and I want you to take a look at this. Then Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, left the Jordan, left the Jordan River. He was led by the Spirit to go into the wilderness. Let's...
0: Now, before we go any farther, who is this text about?
5: It's about Jesus. It's not about you. Stop right here. Here's the first thing. Here's the systematic part. Why don't you to put on your phone, take the back of your check stub, take something and write this down? I want to challenge you to be strategic today to think spirit led. Why? Most of us don't think spirit led. Here's what we think we think in black, we think in white, we think in Hispanic, we think American, we think familia. This is how my family is. We think issues. We think through the filter of issues that we have. By the way, I just want to just just go ahead and say it because you know it. You're looking up here at me. I am not white. <laughs> My pants are white. So what color does that make me? Now, the average person would say, well, you're a little brown. No, this is called Peach. I don't know if you've ever noticed, but just look. That doesn't sound like a very powerful race, does it? I am peach. I am black. I am white. I am Mexican, not Mexican. I am... What's this now?
0: You are twisting God's word. The temptation of Jesus has nothing to do with you being, quote, unquote, spirit-led. Notice... He reads the text, finds himself in it, and this text is about Jesus. Is Luke trying to tell us about Keith Craft?
5: No. He's trying to tell us about Jesus. People claim to be white, and they think white, but they're not really white. People claim to be black. There ain't one person in this room, black and shiny like these Concord Air Jordans I got on. (laughs) There's nobody that black here. But there's some people say, I'm black. That's why. And you know why? Because they think with a black filter. But they're not black. And they're not white. And there's some kind of color. Here's my point. They think color, ethnicity. They think American. Hey, can I just tell you something? We're in America. What does this have to do with the temptation of Jesus in the wilderness? America. America's only 200 plus years of age. We don't have much history in terms of world history. And hopefully, you know things will keep going better. But let me just say something: It's not about being an American, but yet we think American. Some of you here today think poor because you've always been poor. Some people think, "Well, I'm doing okay," and you so you think okay. Some of you got sickness in your body, so you think sick.
0: Uh, there it is: the word of faith heresy. Oh. You, you think sick, huh? Think be do is nothing but kind of a different w- way of discussing the word of faith heresy. What you say, what you think, what you believe, that's what becomes your reality.
5: Here's my point. There's a way that you think, and too often times our thinking is not only shaped by our ethnicities and by our families and by our issues. And by what somebody else's stink that jumped on me and their stink made me to think, stink. And now I got stinking thinking. Yeah, stinking thinking right out of Stuart Smalley. Because of what somebody else said, because of what somebody else did. Some people think abuse. Why? Because they've been abused. So their filter now is clogged with abuse. Some people think divorce because now they're divorced. Here's my challenge to you today. Your think is your think. It doesn't matter what your daddy thought or what he didn't think. It doesn't matter what your ethnicity thinks or what Americans think. You know what matters? What God thinks. And the invitation is this. The invitation is, hey, my thoughts are not your thoughts. My ways are not your ways. Now watch this. As the heavens are higher than the earth... God's not bragging and saying, I'm God, and I think better than you. He's saying, I'm God, and you're my son or daughter, so come on up. I want you to...
0: Uh, Where does it say that? Uh, Come on up? Which verse is that again?
5: To think heaven. I want you to think kingdom. I want you to understand you have a purpose. You have a fingerprint that nobody else has. That nobody ever will have.
0: Yeah, I know. The, uh, the law enforcement people are kind of counting on that.
5: But you've got to take ownership of your think and quit other, let, letting other people's stink mess up your think.
0: Uh huh. So, Luke chapter 4, verse 1, talking about Jesus being spirit led into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil, is all about me learning about taking responsibility for my think. I've never seen that in that text before. I mean, could you show it to me using Greek grammar? I'd like to see that.
5: And that you're going through life, and all of a sudden, out of your heart flow your issues. That's what the Bible says. And so your eulogy has got all kind of issues in it. And God's saying, listen, I didn't make you to be full of issues.
0: Yeah, have you heard of this thing called the fall? Yeah, it has something to do with our issues.
5: I made you to think like me, be like me, and do like me. Watch this, so you can have like me. And which text in the Bible says that? So so why, why is your think and your be and your do so important?
0: Why? why do you think think be do is so important? Because the Bible doesn't teach it. Clearly, Luke 4 doesn't talk about it at all.
5: Why is Evelynology so important? Why is Javierology so important? It's so important because you know what, Javier, I'm the one that controls it, not what my dad did or didn't do. Not who my brother is or isn't or who my sister isn't. It's my think. So here's my question to you, everybody, just listen for a second. Who taught you to think like you think? Men let me talk to you for a minute. Who taught you to think as a man? Here here's the text, Luke chapter 4, verse 1.
0: Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit in the wilderness for 40 days being tempted by the devil. He ate nothing during those days, and while they and and when they were ended, he was hungry and the devil said to him, "If you are the son of God, Command this stone to become bread, if you are the Son of God. Notice the poisonous, deconstructing words here to get Jesus to doubt what God the Father had said when he was baptized. This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased, right? So the devil said to him, If you are the Son of God, command this stone to become bread. And Jesus answered him, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone. And the devil took him up and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time and said to him, To you I will give all this authority and their glory, for it has been delivered to me to give it to whom I will. If you then will worship me, it will all be yours. And Jesus answered him, It is written, You shall worship the Lord your God and serve him. Uh huh. And he took him to Jerusalem, set him on the pinnacle of the temple, and said, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down from here, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you to guard you. And he rips the verse out of context, omits something, and then says, And on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. And Jesus answered, It is said, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Now, are you seeing anything in this story of Jesus being tempted by the devil in the wilderness about your think, your be, or your do? No. This is Jesus basically undergoing temptation for our our benefit, right? Because had Jesus faltered here, we wouldn't have had a Savior in Jesus. He was doing this all to save us. This isn't about learning how to be a think-be-doer. You know what I'm saying?
5: Well, I'm just a man. But who taught you to think? You know what God says? I'm your father. I want you to think like me. Who taught you to think about money the way you think about money? Who taught you to think about marriage the way that you think about marriage? That's what makes love strong so important. Listen, I'm not just I'm not just pitching a marriage conference to you. Let me let me be really real with you as a pastor.
0: So you're pitching a marriage conference, your marriage conference to the people there in Orlando. Got it?
5: Pastor. The two most difficult things that we do in our church is a marriage weekend and a men's weekend. It just it First of all, makes me so mad, I want to kick everybody's think. Because you know what? We should just say, here's the date, and if you want to have a great marriage, be there. Not have to get up here, play you a little commercial. ding it, ding 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 Man, that was cool. Sign up. Sign up. Love strong. Sign up. I'm just telling you, as a pastor, I'm just being honest with you. The most difficult thing we do is to try to get men, watch this now, and men to come to men's events and marriage events. And yet, in this county, only 15% of the children live in a home where there's both a father and a mother. In this county. And we're having to go, y'all get signed up. No, listen, you know what you guys are? I hate to tell you this. The cops will tell you. They're not.
0: Is the reason why he's not actually paying any attention to anything in the text and actually preaching the text is because he doesn't know how to preach a text? Is that the reason?
5: Tired. They cost a lot of money, too. You don't just hire a cop for an hour. She's a four, four hour minimum. It's hundreds of dollars to have those police out there so y'all don't have to wait all freaking day to get in church and get out of church. But listen to me. You know what they would tell you? You know what their hope is? Their hope is is that not just the traffic will stop, but the wrong stuff will stop because of this church. That's their hope. Because you're the tip of the spear. So... All that to say this, think spirit led. Everybody say it, think spirit led. Jesus was full of the spirit, so therefore he was led by the spirit. Now listen very quickly. Whatever you're full of, you'll be led by. Pastor, tell me to say it again. Whatever you're full of, you'll be led by. If you're full of hurt, you'll be led by hurt. If you're full of bitterness, you'll be led by bitterness. If you're full of what somebody else has filled you with and it's not God, you'll be led by that. Jesus was led by the Spirit because he was full of the Spirit. You got to think that way. I want to be led by the Spirit. How many of you, don't raise your hand yet, just listen to me for a minute. How many of you want to be led by the Spirit and not by the lust of your flesh? Don't raise your hand, but just listen to me. How many of you want to be led by the Spirit and not by a full pocketbook or an empty pocketbook? How many of you want to be led by the Spirit when it comes to money, when it comes to marriage, when it comes to living your full God-given potential? How many of you want to be led by the Spirit of God so that, guess what? Every step you take is a step that's been ordered by the Lord And though you fall, you shall not be utterly cast down, for the Lord upholds those with his righteous hand. A good man, watch this now, falls seven times, watch this, and he gets back up. You know what faithfulness is? Faithfulness doesn't mean to never fall, or we're all out. Or I know I am. You know what faithfulness means? To get back up after you've fallen. So a good man falls seven times over and over and over, but he gets up stronger every time. So like a dog, he doesn't keep returning to his vomit. Amen. Good. Good.
0: How many of you want to, where is he getting any of this again?
5: Every verse out of context, he's not paying attention to what any passage says. I think spirit led, come on. So that's my challenge to you today. Think spirit led. So if I'm going to think that way, guess what I have to deal with? What I'm full of. What am I full of that needs to be emptied out so that it can be replaced by God? Here's the second thing. After think is what? Come on, I've, I've taught y'all. What is it? Be. Come on, say it. Say be. Okay, so you got to think, Javier, and then you got to be. The way you think determines how you'll be. Here's, what, here's my challenge to you today. I'm going to challenge you to be core values-based. Now, don't let me lose you on this because core values-based. I'm talking to you today about your think-be-do how to have a valuable life. Anybody here want to have a valuable life? Come on. You know what a valuable life is? So apparently
0: he's selling those, you know. But, uh, you know, where does the Bible teach this doctrine, again, the think-be-do doctrine
5: for having a valuable life? Answer, it doesn't. A valuable life isn't when your life's worth a lot. A valuable life isn't when, when you have a lot of money. A valuable life is not when people look at you and go, "Woo, look at that. A valuable life is not being like Will Smith and says, man, I want want to know what you did to get that car. You know what a valuable life is? It's when you have value to offer everywhere you go. By the way, the more value you offer at your job, they might lay everybody else off. They ain't going to lay you off. The more value you have to offer in your family, they may not want to be with anybody else, but they're going to want to be with you. The more value that you bring... The more energy producing you like from heaven to the earth. When the rain comes down, what does God do? He makes it bring forth. You know what happens to people who add value? They, they move from needing a miracle to being a miracle. You remember that story about the five loaves? All of this is just nonsense. I mean, he's,
0: we're, we're getting pearls of wisdom from uh, Keith Kraft, But the problem is these aren't pearls. You know they may be, you know, Rocky Mountain, you know, pie, you know, pie, little you know, little cakes, but they, these aren't pearls. This is something completely different, and this is a the theology all spun out of his head. This is not biblical theology. In other words, Keith Craft, ultimately, if you were to boil it all down, actually, truly believes that he has a more important word to bring to Christ's church than the word of God itself. If he believed that the word of God was really the most important thing that he should be preaching and teaching, then he would actually be preaching the word of God. But he's not. He's preaching basically the delusions of his own mind. And he is actually deluded enough to believe that uh, these ideas that he's putting out there, this is more important to be preached than what God's word actually says. This is clearly a mess. We continue
5: and two fish. Who was it that had the five loaves and two fish? Was it the wise old man in the crowd? Who had five? Come on, y'all talk to me. You're well taught. Who had five loaves and two fish? The The little boy. Well, couldn't the little boy said, my mama gave me this five loaves and two fish for me. My mama wouldn't want me to give it to you. Watch this now. Listen. A little boy added value to thousands of people because he took what he had and he put it in the master's hands. What kind of value?
0: Actually, it doesn't say that he put them in the master's hands. We're not exactly sure how the disciples came up with it. We don't know if they actually just stole it from the kid or what. It doesn't say.
5: Are you bringing on your job, or are you tuned into that radio station, W-I-I-F-M, what's in it for me? See, that's the way most people live their life. How much y'all paying me? You pay me? Well, this is the theology
0: that you're preaching. How would y'all like to have a better life and stuff like that? That's whiff
5: is it not? Anymore, I'll do more. Can I just ask you on Monday to freak everybody around you out? When you go back to work, go with this thought process. I'm being led by the Spirit of the Lord. I'm core values-based. You know what core values-based means? I know what matters most. I'm a valuable person. You know why I'm valuable? I don't struggle with insecurity. You know why I don't struggle with insecurity? Because I'm going to go to work on Monday, and I'm going to add more value than they could ever pay me. I'm going to have a valuable life. I'm going to have a valuable marriage. Anybody interested in that? I'm going to have valuable finances. Come on. I'm going to have a value.
0: Yeah. And he knocks what's in it for me with him and then turns around and basically gives us a theology of what's in it for me. Weird. Yeah. This is like Stephen Furtick, you know, in his death to selfie sermon series, teaching basically narcissizing biblical text. I mean, it's it's absurd. The only person Keith Kraft is preaching about is himself. Yet Luke
5: four is about Jesus. Life, but it starts with myology. It starts with my think, my be, and my do. So think, spirit led. Second thing, be core values based. What does that mean? It means deciding what matters most and living a life that most matters. So we started in Luke four, right? So Jesus is full of the Spirit. He's led by the, by the Spirit. And I, I, oh, Listen, I just got to th- do this is personal now. I don't like this next part. Let's, let's go back to verse 1. So he was full of the Holy Spirit. He left Jordan. He was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. Every, almost every person who, whose arm was working today, when I said, how many of y'all want to be led by the Spirit of God? And you want to think Spirit led? Almost everybody wrote, guess where Jesus was led? Into a wilderness. Let's go to the, where the devil tempted him 40 days. He ate nothing. He was hungry. Oh, Spirit of God, lead me today. Yeah, um,
0: Jesus being tempted in the wilderness for 40 days. Shows that the temptation of the children of Israel in the wilderness for forty years was type and shadow, and Jesus is the reality where they failed in the wilderness. Jesus succeeded, and he did so for you know for our beh- on our behalf for us. This was part of christ 's active righteousness, which is an important part of soteriology but yeah, um, clearly these the, you know, true biblical theological thoughts are lost on Keith Craft. He's completely oblivious that they even exist because he thinks it's all about some pattern that he's going to follow in his own life.
5: Where I'm wanting you to lead me, let me just go ahead and tell you, God, I'm wanting you to lead me into wealth. Do I hear an amen? I want you to lead me into paths of righteousness for your name's sake. I want you to lead me into good things. And, oh, where I'm never going to have a problem, Jeff. I'm never going to be in an emergency room. I'm never going to get a bad report. I want you to just lead me where everything goes good. I mean, we live in Orlando. This is with Disney World and Universal. and He was led by the Spirit of God into the wilderness. Don't answer this question. Just think about it for a minute. Where are you today in your life? And I feel like I'm in a wilderness. I feel like stuff isn't working. I feel like the devil's messing with me.
0: (laughs) so oblivious to the point.
5: He wasn't just led into the wilderness, but to be tempted by the devil for 40 days and 40, that is just, that just doesn't seem right. God, lead me, lead. Oh, it's so, so sweet. Lead me. Holy Spirit, okay. Let's go down before you go up. Well, what does that mean, Jesus? Let's just keep walking down. I, I, it's getting hot and yeah, but, but you're not going to take off your clothes. What's going to happen is you're walking down right into the, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For I'm being led by the shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd. And in the valley of the shadow of death, I shall want no thing. But wait just a minute. We're not supposed to have those valleys. We're not supposed to, life isn't supposed to feel like death. Our marriage is supposed to work right. Everything's supposed to be perfect. I am a Christian. Listen now, remember what it says. My thoughts are not your thoughts. My ways are not your ways. As the heavens are higher than the earth, that's how far apart we are. And then he goes on to explain it. As the rain comes down from the heaven and waters the earth and makes it bud, so shall it be with my word that doesn't return void. I'm gonna make it work in your life, but watch this. If you don't get your think, be, and do right, your ology will nullify my word working in your life. Wait, it's supposed the text
0: doesn't say any of that nonsense. You keep sticking things into God's word that are not there. It's
5: supposed to be this way. I've been tithing for two weeks and nothing's happening. God, I gave you a dollar. I want a hundred back. And I ain't got jack back from anybody. What is God looking for? Let me tell you what he's looking for. Every man proclaims his own goodness, Proverbs twenty verse six. But a faithful man who can find? What are you gonna do in your dark closet when the lights are, are out and the ba- and all the reports are bad? You see, you gotta know what's important. I was fifteen years old and long story short, I shared this at Love Strong a few years ago and and uh, my parents moved us from Dallas, Texas to Slido, Louisiana. My dad had been a Dallas policeman. He retired, took a job. And uh, first day I was... Notice the fact that we're going to hear
0: a lot about Keith Craft again. Um, we'll, I'm sure he'll tell his own personal stories in context so that we don't twist him. He won't twist his own life. But he's, he's, he's twisting the story about Jesus being tempted in the wilderness. He's not interested in telling that one accurately, now is he?
5: I was at Slido High School... Um, I was, the basketball coach came up to me and I was 6'3", weighed 165 pounds wet. If I stuck my tongue out, I look like a zipper. I mean, I was skinny. And uh, it's hard to tell up here, but I'm 6'6 now and weigh a little over 180. But anyway, uh, so, so the basketball coach said, hey, come sit on the sidelines of our game and see if uh, you want to play for us. And I already knew I did. It was my first night there. And so I'm sitting on the sidelines. I'm not dressed out in a basketball uniform. I'm just there and, uh, you know, just observing and All of a sudden, man, I was watching the game. I got distracted because on the other side of the court, here's what I saw. (laughs) Anyway, so I looked across there. I saw this beautiful girl. I turned to the guy next to me. I said, Who is that? He said, Well, she's going steady. Those of you who dated in the 70s, you're with me. Everybody else, I'm sorry. She's going steady, but there's one right down there that looks just like her. I took a double take. It was like the double mint gum commercials. I mean, twins, identical. One was taken. One was mine. I couldn't wait. In fact, let me just say this. The game finally got over. I went out to the hangout, which was McDonald's, long story short. I invited myself over to her house. First night there. I said, hey, you have some school annuals or something? And she goes, well, yeah. I said, I'd, I'd like to see them. I, you know, I'm, I'm new in town. She invites me over to her house after I invite myself. I get there. She comes out with all the annuals. She's go, I go, hey, I don't really care about seeing the annuals. She goes, you don't? I said, no. I said, I just want to talk. She goes, I said, I'm a born-again, spirit-filled Christian. Without saying a word, she got up and walked out of the room. I thought, well, you know what? I'm not going to be with a girl that doesn't know what matters most to me. And God matters most. And that's how I wanted to start the conversation. I said, be core values based. Think spirit led, be core values based. What does that mean? Decide what matters most to you so you can live a life that most matters.
0: She walked out of the room. I was just... This is like a fortune cookie theology, and the guy writing the fortune cookie, cookie sayings is Keith Kraft, and they're really weird.
5: I was thinking, man, kind of a little bit embarrassed. I got up. I started getting ready to leave, and heard her mother come walking back in the room, and her mother said, you're born again in a spirit field? I stuck out my chest I didn't have. I said, yes, I am. And she said, that's wonderful. We've been believing God for somebody that our daughter could could be friends with. And I said, I'm here. I'm here. I'm here. I'm here. Well, one month later, January 20th, 1976, I had just turned 16. She was still young, 15. I asked her to go steady with me. She said, Yeah. I said, wait, before you say yes, I pulled out a piece of paper. I said, I have this philosophy about how relationships work. You should have seen the look on her face. So I took out a piece of paper and I drew a triangle. And I put her name on the left and I put my name on the right. And then I put God at the top. I said, this is how I see relationships. And I drew two lines and I said, I believe if you'll be your best for God and I'll be my best for God, that we will meet at the top and I think he'll make this work. What do you think about that? She's just like looking at me. Like her first success leadership seminar, she goes. Well, I like that. I said, Well, there's something else. I said, Listen, I said, I just want us to communicate. I want us to talk. I said, Let's let's don't let's don't let's do what the Bible says. How many of y'all think we ought to do what the Bible says? See, when you're thinking spirit led, you're being core values based. You're deciding, Hey, man, shall not live by bread alone, Jesus said to the devil, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. So, watch what happens.
0: Yeah, that would be the written word of God.
5: I said, You know, let's don't let the sun go down in our anger and give the enemy a foothold. I said, Can we just always try to talk and so we can work things out and not practice divorce? She goes, Yeah, I like to talk. So I said, Good. And I said, also on this day, January twentieth. And what does this have to do with the story from Luke 4 of
0: Jesus being tempted in the wilderness? absolutely nothing. You won't find a single commentary written by a real biblical scholar who's really interested in doing sound biblical exegesis who will read Luke chapter 4 and start at verse 1 and say, and this is the chapter where God reveals to us think-be-do theology. And, you know, and oh, and here's Keith Craft. Oh, wow, he was prophesied all the way back there by Luke. Not at all.
5: I'm going to celebrate you every month on this date for as long as we're together. She goes, she didn't know what that meant. She goes, okay, okay, all right. Next month, February 20th, 1976, I said, it's our anniversary. She goes, what? I go, yeah, one month ago today, you said that yes. And I said, I'm going to celebrate that yes for as long as we're together. That was 462 months ago this month. Now, can I just tell you something? That might make you sick, It's not impressive at all.
0: I mean, I wish you could apply that type of precision to God's word,
5: which you don't seem very interested in doing at all. And you might not believe it, but she's sitting right here. Our kids have grown up seeing that. There's treasure boxes that are around our house with cards that date all the way back to January 20th, 1976. Today, each one of my daughters and son have chosen, they have their own anniversaries every month. Each one of my children have an anniversary every month. My son's anniversary is the first of every month when his girlfriend first said yes. Clay and Whitney's anniversary is on the eighth of every month. Kela and Brendan's anniversary is on the seventh of every month. Now I not only have to remember mine, but I got to remember theirs. <laughs> but the truth is, here's what I'm... Here's I wish you would apply that
0: to remembering the rules for sound biblical hermeneutics and exegesis.
5: Listen now, I didn't know to call them core values back then. That's what I want you to get. I didn't know that, hey, these are core values, Sheila. But what these were was this is my what matters most. I'm not telling you to make your what matters most the same as my what matters most. But understand what Jesus' temptation was all about. Listen, in in Luke 4, because he was led by the Spirit, he was core values based. You say, what do you mean by that? The devil comes to him and says, where are you getting this? If you really are the son of God, you're hungry, man. You've been fasting for 40 days and 40 nights. Turn these stones into bread. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. He was saying this is what matters most. My hunger right now, my lust, whatever it is, doesn't matter most right now. You see, your greatest temptation, and I want everybody to get this, your greatest temptation in life will be To decide to live a life that doesn't matter most. The most important decision you'll make every day of your life is to decide every day of your life, here's what matters most. And that's exactly what the devil doesn't want for your marriage. The devil doesn't want it for your finances. The devil doesn't want it for your life. Why? Because he wants to mess with your ology. He wants to mess with your think, your be, and your do. Watch this now. So that God-ology won't work for you. So say, "Thank, spirit-led, be core values-based.
0: <laughs> Man, tough to listen to because it's utter nonsense. Are they learning anything about what the Bible really says? No, not at all. What they're being taught is utter and complete nonsense. And they're sitting there sucking this up like, oh, wow, this is the best thing ever. Wow, he's so deep. He's unfathomable. Yeah, he's not even close to rightly handling God's word. That is a huge problem. We continue.
5: And let me end with this. Do a masterpiece. So I'm challenging your eulogy. Javier, I'm cha- Yeah, you're you're challenging my <laughs> You're challenging
0: logic. You're challenging biblical exegesis. You're challenging me in ways that make me think you're a heretic and somebody who is, has no ability to rightly handle God's word and
5: that you're doing the work of the devil. Challenging you. How old are you? Four, man, if you get this at 14, dude, trust me. Trust me when I'm telling you this. Everybody in this room will be going, look at Javier. How did that happen? Myology changed when I was 14. I started thinking, I want to be led by the Spirit. I started to... Yeah, none of the Christians
0: I went to high school with at a Christian high school or at a Christian university, for that matter, no one ever talked about that day when their eulogy changed. Uh-huh.
5: Deciding when I was 14, just like I did when I was 15, here's what matters most. God, you matter most. So anybody that comes into my life is going to have to have that same core value. Anybody that I'm going to go through life with has to have that same core value because that's what matters most. And then you could do a masterpiece. You say do a masterpiece. Marriage can be a masterpiece. Your finances can be a masterpiece. How do you do finances God's way? For every $10 you make, you give God the first dollar.
0: Yeah, I saw that one coming.
5: Set up the system. But you got to decide. Am I going to think about my money the way God thinks about my money? Or am I going to decide, ah, listen, this church has a whole lot more money than I have. My little dollar of every 10 doesn't matter. No, listen, it ain't about this church or anybody else. It's about you because the windows of heaven will be open over your life if you honor God by giving him the first dollar. That's the way it works.
0: Uh huh. Yeah, the Old Testament tithe is not a New Testament or New Covenant command. We continue. So,
5: anyway let me let me close with this do a masterpiece anything that's cue sappy music it's in your life you can decide i'm gonna do a masterpiece by the way you're fearfully and wonderfully made by god you have a fingerprint that nobody else has to leave an imprint that nobody else can leave but if you don't know that you're a masterpiece what does your fingerprint matter only way it matters in the world is criminal activity you did that crime yeah i did it was your fingerprint we don't even know why God's given us a fingerprint. That's why I wrote this book. Your fingerprint is divine, and it wasn't to identify you at the scene of a crime. It was so you could reach your greatness for the glory of God.
0: Really, uh, my fingerprint is so that I can reach my greatness. Uh, you got a biblical text that says that.
5: Do a masterpiece marriage. Do a masterpiece job. Do a masterpiece life. Do a masterpiece man. Do a masterpiece woman. Do a masterpiece young person. Again,
0: what does any of this have to do with Jesus being tempted in the wilderness? The text was uh, that story from Luke 4. I don't know why you told it because you didn't pay any attention to what it actually
5: says or what it actually means. Do everything as a masterpiece. want to close with this in my book. The, the so we're going to close with you quoting your book. Yeah, that says a lot. One the chapters, your thing be do. At 14 feet tall, it's been called one of art history's greatest masterpieces of all time. The year was 1501 when the overseers of the Office of the Works of Dumo commissioned then 26-year-old Michelangelo to create a statue called David. He was not the first one to be given the commission. In fact, 100 years before. How many years before? 100 years before. Michelangelo, the assignment was given to Donatello, but he never made any progress. And over the next several decades, two other artists were given the opportunity, but they both failed. The massive block of Carrera marble found what seemed to be its final resting place in the yard of the cathedral's workshop. When Michelangelo encountered it, it was covered with dirt and partially overgrown with weeds. Soon the massive piece of unused dull marble was cleared and the work on David had finally begun. For two years Michelangelo hammered and chiseled. His think be do out of a shapeless piece of stone into the beginnings of a matchless work of art. For two more years he sanded it, he polished it, until the statue was complete. In 1504, after a four-day procession, the David was placed in the front of the Palazzo della Signoria, the main government building in Florence, facing Rome as the symbol. Isn't it weird
0: that this description of uh, you know Michelangelo's David, um, we're getting more detail in context than we did from God's Word, from the Gospel of Luke. That should tell you something.
5: ...of the Florentine Republican, its struggle against tyrants who had or would seek to conquer it. This would be akin to placing it in front of our Capitol building. When Michelangelo was asked, how were you able to create such a masterpiece? He, was, he said, I was able to think David and I just simply removed everything that I did not think was David. You know what God's wanting to do today? To remove everything in you that he doesn't think is son of God and daughter of God.
0: Yeah, that's uh, nice and pithy and all that kind of stuff. But uh, you, you, again, you were reading from your book and you did that more accurately than you did the good book. That's the behavior of a wolf or somebody who's doing the work of of
5: the devil. Because that's what he's created you to be. To think like him, be like him, and do life like him. I'm going to pray for you. Before I do, let me just say this. I'm going to be in the lobby I have this book. In fact, yeah, he's going to be in the lobby selling
0: his book. In fact, I brought CDs and DVDs. and a Oh, and a whole bunch of merchandise.
5: And a worship CD. We, could, we just call it a book bundle. I'm going to be out there signing books. Some of you saw me doing it in between the services. I'd love to sign a book for you. I'd love you to get this in your heart. I'd love you to invest in this in your for your family. Several people
0: yeah, I'm sure you would. And the investment all goes into your pocket, uh, Keith
5: we are going to say, Our family's going to do this together. We're going to go through the book together. We're going to watch the DVDs together. We're... Rather than you know, study the Bible
0: together, we're going to study Keith Craft's book about you know, divine fingerprints.
5: We're gonna, we've got entire companies that are taking, there's a, two chapters in here on leadership and the difference between, between being a transactional person and a transformational person. In other words, it's something that really can help you, it's not just a boring book.
0: No, it's more than a it's more than a boring book It's an exciting book chock full of Bible twisting and heresy It's about you Yeah, and the Bible's about Jesus I'll Tell you what, I'll go with the Bible
5: So I want to encourage you Ask for the bundle, ask for the book I'll be glad to sign it And then one other quick thing, I'll just say this I brought a t-shirt I was at Universal Studios yesterday And they were asking me for my, my fingerprint I go, here it is They're looking at me. I go, read the back. God's given you a unique fingerprint to leave an imprint that nobody else can leave. Listen, don't just get the T-shirt. Be the T-shirt. Are we hearing
0: anything about Jesus and him crucified for our sins? Repentance, the forgiveness of sins, sound biblical doctrine, true sanctification, the real fruit of the Holy Spirit? Nope. (laughs) It's a different religion altogether.
5: Leave an imprint for God. Let me pray for you. Father. Done.
0: Done. Sorry, Keith. Don't let you pray for me. um, Because I'm not convinced you actually believe in and pray to the same God that I believe in and pray to. <sighs> wow. What a mess. Yeah. All focused on you. Eulogy. Whereas the scriptures are all about Christ and what he's done for you. Big difference. What did you think? Love to get your feedback. If you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so. My email address is talkback at fightingforthefaith.com, or you can subscribe on Facebook, Facebook.com forward slash pirate Christian or follow me on Twitter. My name there at Pirate Christian. Till tomorrow, may God richly bless you in the grace and mercy won by Jesus Christ and by Death on the cross for all of your sins. Amen.